Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Do you guys remember late January, early February 2022? There was that world, well, not world changing, but an event that took the world by surprise, the Freedom Convoy. Maybe you remember hundreds and hundreds of trucks, along with thousands of other vehicles, made their way to Ottawa, the capital of my beloved country of Canada. The context of this event was, of course, the fact that there were encroaching vaccine mandates that were getting more and more severe, making it more and more difficult for Canadians who were unvaccinated, like myself, uh, to live their lives. And I remember that time. I remember that period of the winter of 2021-2022, before the convoy took place. And things were very, very dark. Anyone who's an unvaccinated Canadian can probably relate I mean, you know, you think you can't go into a movie theater, you can't go into a arena, you can't go to the gym, you can't go to a restaurant. Those things don't necessarily seem like the biggest deal in the world. But when you started adding up all the places you couldn't do, you realized that, you know, you just, you didn't have any of the normal liberties that you had. And it really cut down on a lot of things you could do. And there was this growing sentiment of resentment in Canada to the point where there were articles coming out in massive newspapers, you know, big national publications about the unvaccinated talking about us in terrible ways and stuff. And it ruined families. It made a big rift in my family. It was a very dark time. And it was so dark. I remember and this, this sounds crazy now because we're so far out of it, but anyone who was going through this can relate. I remember at one point, legitimately, I was worried that the vaccination status was going to be attached to things like social services, you know, the things you access, your healthcare, whatever, because there was talk of that. And we never thought the vaccine passports would happen in the first place, let alone the continuing encroachment of more and more restrictions. And it was so surreal because I live in Ontario, Canada, one hour away from the American border. And even in Michigan, with that witch of a lady who runs that state, very blue government there. Even there, everything was done a year prior to us, everything. And even when it was on, it was nowhere near as severe as it was here. So even blue states in the United States were not as severe as what we consider a conservative province in Ontario. And I remember at one point being so worried about what was going to happen that I actually mapped out a route where I knew where I could get across the border with my family if we had to escape. And it sounds crazy now, but that was what was happening. And those were the types of things you ask any unvaccinated person in Canada during that time. And they were having thoughts like that because things were getting so bad and it was so dark. And then out of nowhere, it was surreal. There was talk of this sort of convoy thing. And I thought to myself, well, okay, they've done protests before, but hold on a second. It's not just, you know, some people are going to go to parliament with some picket signs or something like that. It was like thousands of truckers, tens of thousands of people with them. I mean, these convoys were like 40 kilometers long coming across the country. And it was a surreal moment in Canadian history. And of course, it did have an effect. It really did change the course of the restrictions in Canada. The politicians won't admit it, but swiftly within about two or three weeks, basically every province in the country was completely open. Mass mandates were gone, vaccine mandates were gone, and so on and so forth. But there was one thing that sparked the whole backlash. Because this stuff had been going on before. I mean, there were a thousand things. And those of us who were awake to what was going on 
We knew it was wrong since day one. And the thing we were waiting for, we were waiting for people to wake up. We were waiting for those who we would consider conservative or commonsensical to just sort of wake up and smell the roses, as they say. But it just didn't happen. And it seemed hopeless. But there was one thing that they did that sent everyone over the edge. And it's when they put the mandate on the truckers. The truckers who were supposed to be the heroes because everything was closed and they were you know, transporting everything back and forth. They never got a day off. Their job's hard enough to begin with. And all of a sudden, even though it was something like 90% of truckers were vaccinated and only a few percent were going to be affected from the cross-border problems, the thing is, is that it was the principle of the thing. The average Canadian, the average sort of centrist, normal Canadian who was okay with a lot of the stuff and just want to put their head in the sand, all of a sudden they kind of woke up and then out of nowhere you saw policy on a national scale change. You saw the Conservative Party of Canada, they're not perfect by any means, but you know they were supporters of all the segregation stuff, at least to a degree, and all of a sudden they flipped a switch and all of a sudden they're pro- you know, having all the mandates gone and all this kind of stuff. And the national conversation completely changed. And now the Liberal Party in Canada is probably polling around 20%. When there's an election in the next year or two, Justin Trudeau is probably going to have the biggest defeat in maybe one of the biggest defeats in electoral Canadian electoral history. But after that came something that we're going to talk about. And I think there's some similarities here between what we're going on in the church, what's going on in the church and what happened in Canada. I'm going to get to that, but first I just want to say seats are filling up for the Canadian Martyrs Men's Conference. It's happening February 17th, that weekend, 16, 17, 18, but the big day is the 17th. Tickets are $100. Those of you who already booked your spot for the uh, evening social beforehand, we've got a bigger venue, so if you couldn't get a spot, we're going to have a bigger venue for that the night before the conference. For those of you coming out of town, myself, uh, Father Stannis, Father Rion, uh, uh, Tim Flanders speaking at the conference. The majority will be from the priests, which is what we want. We're just there for the ride. And um, starts with mass, whole day of speakers, rosary, good time. Everyone gets a cigar. It's the only traditional Catholic men's conference in North America. You don't want to miss it. It's only about an hour from the border. If you're coming from Michigan, hour and a half, if you're coming from New York, and it's 45 minutes, 50 minutes or so from the Toronto airport. So it's pretty accessible. Click the link in the description box for this podcast and you will find what you need. So if you recall what happened, there was this big movement of, let's call it liberty, and everything was ending. But then what Justin Trudeau did is he came in with a nuclear option. And he brought in the Emergencies Act, which is effectively was something like martial law. Now, the thing is, that was really scary. But that also made everything worse. Because not only did they lose their legitimacy, because they let everything get to that point. But they lost legitimacy even more because they went with a, an act that's reserved for like, you know, the, the Emergencies Act is good legislation. It's essentially reserved for, you know, if, if there's an alien invasion in Toronto and they don't want to have to go through Parliament and all the channels, it's just like the Prime Minister can say, I'm commandeering the military, go do your job, boys. I mean, it's pretty commonsensical. It's actually pretty fine legislation. It's only been used like twice in history, which makes sense. And... Uh, but he abused it. And that made things even worse. And I think there's a parallel going on in the church right now. You see, those of us who are traditional Catholics, we've been awake to the nonsense coming out of the Vatican for a long time. And not just like awake, like, oh, that's kind of not so good. But we know that the spirit of modernism 
is at the heart of all of the destruction since the 1960s. And this recent document by Pope Francis and Cardinal Fernandez about the gay blessings, yeah, it's particularly egregious because of the issue at hand from a Catholic moral perspective, but the document itself is no different than any of the documents that have come out in the last 50 or 60 years. It's filled with scattered philosophical thought. It's filled with this sort of anthropocentric, personalist, modernist, Hegelian philosophy. And yes, again, the issue at hand is egregious for some, but as, as traditionalists, we're saying this is old news. But what's been interesting to see is the global reaction to this. It's my opinion that there's something like a global convoy of resistance fomenting against Pope Francis. And it's not coming from the laity. It's coming from the bishops. Pretty much the entire conference of Africa, or the entire continent, excuse me, of Africa, has already come out with very forceful statements from all their various bishops' conferences. The most forceful was from the Diocese of Cameroon, or the, the Bishops' Conference of Cameroon. And they said something I thought was so important. They said, and this is in French, but the, the word to bless in French is bénir. Benediction comes from the word bénir. Um, it, to bless something in other, other languages besides English very clearly means to affirm something as good. The English-speaking world, because we don't use these Latin languages, we're kind of, a lot of people are kind of missing that. But the word bene, good, in Italian comes from the word benedicere in Latin, which means to, to affirm something as good. So a blessing is affirming something as good. And all these places in the world are realizing it's impossible to give uh, a blessing to what has been proposed by the Vatican, because that is linguistically an affirmation of what is good. The uh, Confraternity of Priests in England, many of them have come out and said the exact same thing. The Ukrainian uh, Catholic Church in the Ukraine came out, and their primate or patriarch or whatever he's called, he came out and said the exact same thing. Poland came out and said the exact same thing. What we're seeing right now is an unprecedented global response against Pope Francis. And here is what I think is going to happen. You see, when the convoy stuff started in Canada, it was a line too far for all the sort of milquetoast, middle-of-the-road conservatives. Maybe they didn't like it, they didn't agree with it, but they didn't think it was time to take up arms, metaphorically. But then when they went too far, they started asking questions. And now, what's hilarious, things that you would get kicked out of the conservative party for saying a year and a half ago or two years ago, they're now regular talking points on behalf of conservative politicians in the parliament. You know, they're talking about injuries and all these kind of things you just couldn't even talk about on YouTube. I mean, now you can, basically. You couldn't even bring it up. Because what happened? When you push someone over their line and they start asking questions, they don't stop with one question. They want to know, why did we get where we are? And that's what I think is happening in the world right now. I'm not being too hopeful because I do think there's going to be some massive tyranny to come. And I'll explain why. But I, what, what I think is happening is, here's the thing. Once you throw that first punch, you're now in the fight. Once these bishops' conferences have come out with their forceful statements against the Holy Father, against his directives, they're now in the fight. And they have two options. They can keep fighting, which means they're going to have to continue with their resistance because there's going to be pushback. Or they can retreat. But I don't think they will. I really don't think they will. And once you start pushing back against these things, now you start asking questions more and more about the problem that undergirds this entire crisis in the church. And when you go to the root of it, it is the modernist philosophical outlook 
the, the intellectual disease that even though things are not technically heretical in many cases, sometimes they are, but they're not technically heretical, what you realize is that the result of if you were to follow the logic of that document is it would lead to de facto an apostasy. And that's what this recent document from the Vatican is showing people. And I think you're going to see many so-called conservative Catholics kind of get their heads out of the sand and realize to themselves, this problem is much deeper than this recent document. This, this, this problem is much deeper than Amoris Laetitia. This, promise, this, this problem is much deeper than the change to catechism on the death penalty. And I think you're going to see people start connecting those dots. And if you do go to a traditional chapel, I imagine that your chapel is going to continue to swell more and more, kind of like it did during COVID. But what I think is going to happen in the immediate is the following. You see, if you go back to that example of the Freedom Convoy, there was this, this massive movement against the, the overreach. And the only thing that Justin Trudeau, he's very much a communist, he, he rules Canada like Pope Francis rules the church. The only thing that he could do was go nuclear. And I think that what, that's what Pope Francis is probably going to do. Because, listen, I pray for the Holy Father. I have no malice towards the Holy Father. But there's enough literature. You know, you read Henry Sire's work, for example, Henry Sear, however you, however you pronounce it. There's enough literature. There's enough history now to know that Pope Francis rules in a very iron-fisted way. He's very much a totalitarian in the way that he runs the church. Just ask Bishop Strickland and others. Unless Pope Francis has a massive conversion, I think he's going to react very harshly. And I think you're going to see uh, some very radical tantruming coming out of the Vatican, which is going to cause the crisis to become even deeper. But ultimately, what's that, what that's going to do is it's going to cause more and more people to wake up to what's going on, just like the Freedom Convoy did. You know, the funny thing is, a lot of people in Canada didn't support the Freedom Convoy per se, but they were more angry at the government for letting it get to the point for doing something so unreasonable. They kept asking themselves, why wouldn't you just drop those silly mandates that didn't exist until two weeks ago if we didn't need them till now? That sort of thing. And then after the Emergencies Act uh, inquiry was done, uh, technically what the prime minister did wasn't illegal as per the courts, but even the recommendations for the courts was that this should never happen again. This was used wrongly, and this was not a good use of this, even if it's not technically illegal on paper. And the government in Canada has lost its legitimacy more and more and more to the point now where it's pretty much it's common parlance for people to basically say they think Justin Trudeau is a joke and they can't wait till he's gone forever. I think this something similar is going to happen with Pope Francis. I think after Christmas, after more and more bishops' conferences come out, now it's basically all of Africa, it's Poland, it's Ukraine, it's the priests of England, uh, it's growing more and more every day. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see Pope Francis react in a very tyrannical way, which, which is probably going to come with something even more egregious. And when that happens, it's going to cause de facto schisms within the church. I mean, what is he going to say to the Africans? You have to do what I've told you? Is he going to excommunicate every diocese in Africa? Like, is that going to happen? If it does, I mean, we know this is ridiculous. Are we in a position where we have some sort of great Western schism? I don't know. But I just wanted to draw those parallels here because it feels to me like 
you know, things have been very dark under Pope Francis, and things get increasingly more and more dark, especially when he brought in this new head of the doctrine of the dicastery for the faith, or dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, you know, Cardinal Fernandez and so on and so forth. Things just keep getting worse and worse and worse. And the natural course of events is that Pope Francis will essentially put in the mechanisms to completely destroy the church. But just like with what happened in Canada, it got too far. And then what actually happened was a complete pushback and a reversal of the trajectory of the country as a whole. I think that's what's happening. I think we're going to have a new pope relatively soon. I personally think Pope Francis is going to die pretty soon. He's not very healthy. Apparently, he has a massive problem with blood pressure and things like that with his temper. This is, you know, not just me gossiping. This is what the Vaticanistas have said over the years. I wouldn't be surprised if he's furious right now. He's in his late 80s. He's had many surgeries. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he doesn't get the chance to do something tyrannical because he might die of not a broken heart, but something like that. I think something like that is going to happen. And because of that, I think that the next pope we're going to have is probably going to be an African pope. I think the next pope we're going to have is going to be very conservative. And I think that people are going to wake up to the point where they're going to realize that there's just no way to continue with this trajectory and things have to change. And I think, in addition, they're going to see that all these Catholics who have been faithful are going to be so inspired by these bishops that they're going to become more generous. They're going to get more vocations. They're going to be more... Well, they're going to be, have more liberality with their money and money talks. And that's going to be a sign where these bishops are going to say to themselves, we are never going down that path again. And I think they're going to be emboldened to be stronger and stronger and stronger. And I think those who've reacted in a very weak need way, I think they're going to become obscure and lose their respect more and more and more, especially with Bishop Barron, for example. Bishop Barron's response was basically, there's nothing wrong with this. This is fine. It's okay. Blah, blah, blah. And that's just not going to cut it because his audience is edging more and more conservative every day. You know, there's only a few handful of very obscure Catholic apologists who are still holding on to this as being fine. And the mainstream conservative Catholic apologists of EWTN and places like that, they're sounding more and more like traditionalists with every waking moment. And they're starting to cast aside these ridiculous Pope-splaining types. Last thing. I think one person we all have to thank for the reaction out of Africa is Archbishop Lefebvre. And I say this because Archbishop Lefebvre was the apostolic delegate in charge of French-speaking Africa for about 30 years. And the country so far that has had the strongest response has been the French-speaking African country of Cameroon, um, where you should go read it. You can find a translation. I think Diane Montagna put it on Twitter if you look up her stuff. And their response was very, very strong, stronger than the other African countries. Some of the other African countries, they were much more diplomatic with sort of saying the document wasn't, was okay here and there, but they just won't do this because that's not part of the African culture. But the Cameroonian document was very fire and brimstone. It was, this is not possible. This will not happen. This is egregious. This will never happen in our country. We are rejecting this. And I think we have Archbishop Lefebvre in many ways to thank for this because those French-speaking Africans who have inherited uh, a Catholic faith in places that he laid the groundwork in because he was there till about the 60s. It's kind of one of the only places on earth where even though it's not perfect, there are problems in Africa. In many countries in Africa, the Protestant churches have started to overtake the Catholic churches because that's the result of the Novus Ordo Catholicism is that the, blurred, the lines get blurred and people switch. That does happen. It's not perfect. Africa is not you know, without its faults and they, and they have work to do. 
But on a global scale, it's, it's hard to find a place that has a stronger faith than that. And, and I think we have Archbishop Lefebvre largely to thank for that. So let us all ask for his intercession to continue praying for the strength of the African bishops. And for, if there's any clergy watching this, and I do know that some bishops and clergy do watch this. Um, I know for a fact that some people in Rome actually watch it. So hello to those of you who might be in the Curia. Um, do the right thing. Give us a pope who's not a complete heretic. Have a conversion. Look to St. Thomas Becket. Maybe if you're not the greatest person, but then you get the office and you come out and you're willing to die for the faith, do something like that. So, as always, ladies and gentlemen, let me know what you think in the comments. This has been the Kennedy Report. Until next time, God bless. And also, we're three days from Christmas. I'm wishing you a very merry early Christmas, and I hope you have a blessed new year.